Thank you, Carla, and good morning. Good morning and greetings from your brothers and sisters at Vintage Santa Monica. Vintage Santa Monica, where we also struggle with Brit-American balance. And I think the Brits are winning, uh, Carla. Uh, but like you said, uh, I was blessed enough to be here uh, and be around during the beginning of vintage Pasadena, and it's amazing to see what God has done with this church and uh, with all of you. And I think we should give a big round of applause to, to Ben and Laura and Carla and Matt and the team. And, and this beautiful new sanctuary that you guys have is amazing. Um, just mentioned I was a brief Pasadena resident, for those of you who don't know. Uh, I lived right down the street at Arroyo uh, Parkway and Del Mar, the Del Mar Apartments uh, for a year. Love my uh, time here in Pasadena. How many of you have watched The Chosen TV show? Okay, a good number of you. It's a TV show about the life of Jesus and his disciples. And I think it's, it's just beautifully written and acted and it's funny and it's well staged. And, um, it, you know, it tells the story and, and scripture's at the heart of it. I mean, it goes beyond scripture, but, but I think it stays within the spirit of scripture. And... One of the things I gave up during Lent was all streaming, except for The Chosen. So I binged on The Chosen for 40 days and pretty much know every single episode by heart. And one of my favorite scenes I want to begin with today is one where Jesus and James and John are walking through Samaria. And those of you know that Jews and Samaritans were bitter enemies back then. And sure enough, a group of Samaritans start taunting uh, Jesus and James and John and throw rocks at them, and one of them even spits at them. And this infuriates James and John. You know, they, they say to Jesus, let us do something. You know, they insulted your honor. You said that we would have the, the power to do the things that you do. Let us call down bolts of lightning and incinerate them. Yeah, fire. Fire. And Jesus is like, really? Fire? And Jesus kind of rebukes them and reminds them that he's not here just for them. He's not here just to save them. He's here to save everyone. And that includes people they don't like and people who are mean to them. And James and John call, calm down and they apologize. And Jesus reflects their words back to them. So you wanted me to use the power of God to bring fire and burn these people up. And John says, well, when you put it that way, it sounds a lot worse. And I began thinking that in our worst moments, that when we get that angry and when we overreact and when we think about doing something that we will regret, regret later. Wouldn't it be great to have a friend like Jesus at that moment to kind of slow us down, you know, to calm us down, to give us some perspective before we make a choice that may have some really bad long-term consequences. Wouldn't it be great to have a friend like that, a true friend, a best friend, an ultimate friend? And the thing we're going to learn today 
is we do have a friend like that. And he's called the Holy Spirit. If you can turn your Bibles to John chapter 14, and Matt's going to come up and read verses 16 to 26. John 14, 16 through 26. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Why don't we pray? Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for these words. Thank you for the, this truth. And we pray this morning that you open our minds and enlighten our hearts so that we can learn who the Holy Spirit is and why he has so many things, and that he is our ultimate friend. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So the passage, it's this beautiful description of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But the words can be a little bit dizzying. I am in you, you are in me, I am in my Father. And what it's basically saying is, that the relationship that the Trinity shares, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we can share. And the Holy Spirit is that person in which we participate in that relationship. The Holy Spirit makes it possible for God to be a part of us. And that's pretty special. So we're going to talk about today, who is the Holy Spirit? What does he do? And how do you be filled with the Spirit? Who is the Spirit? What does he do? And how do you be filled with the Spirit? So I want to highlight a couple more verses again to talk about who the Holy Spirit is. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. That's verse 16. The Spirit of truth, the, word can, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. That's verses 16 through 18. Now, when we talk about God being a part of us, we have to understand how extraordinary that is because for a long time that was considered 
unthinkable. It was considered impossible because in the Old Testament, you know, God was considered just too big and, and too powerful and too fearsome. In Exodus chapter 20, the Israelites stayed at the bottom of the mountain because they were so, so afraid of being near God and only Moses had, had the courage to go to the top and be near God and in the presence of God. So one of the ways the Israelites tried to address that to make God more accessible is to build a tabernacle and then to build a temple. And these were elaborate structures with very precise designs and and, and exacting standards. But they still had multiple barriers you had to cross through. Curtains and the like to get to the center, to get to the Holy of Holies where God's presence was supposed to dwell. And even then, only certain people could go in there. You know, only certain priests from the tribe of Levi were allowed to enter the Holy of Holies, and only then at certain times of the year. See, the problem was there's still this huge gulf between God, who is holy and perfect and sinless, and human beings who are very much not. But then Jesus came, and he closed that gap. 2 Corinthians 5 says, he who was without sin became sin. He took on all of our sin so that in him we could become the righteousness of God. And that happened because Jesus became one of us. Jesus, Emmanuel, which means God with us, God walking amongst us, God walking alongside us. So for the disciples, God was walking by their side. He was that friend walking alongside them. The wisdom of God and the courage of God and the strength of God as their ultimate friend. John 1 says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And the Greek word for uh, dwelt is actually tabernacle as well. So the presence of God tabernacled amongst us and walked alongside. And that was extraordinary. When you look at that context, when you look at once, what once was in the Old Testament. But what happened when Jesus ascended to heaven? What happened when he died and resurrected and went to heaven? Did that accessibility go away? No, it didn't. Because we see in this passage that God did not abandon them. In verse 16, Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. So this time, God would tabernacle amongst them again, but this time he would live in their hearts. He would dwell in their hearts, he would tabernacle in their hearts. Tim Keller calls the Holy Spirit the personal divine resident of the Christian's heart. Think about that moment, the personal divine resident of the Christian's heart. Personal, person. That's important because the Holy Spirit is not some mystical force. It's not the force like in Star Wars. He is a person. He may not be a physical person, but he is a person. He has the characteristics of a person. Romans 15 says the Holy Spirit loves. Ephesians 4 says the Holy Spirit grieves. Acts 15 says the Holy Spirit thinks. And Acts 1 says the Holy Spirit acts. And these are all the characteristics of a person. So here you have a thinking, feeling person 
dwelling, tabernacling inside you, who loves you dearly and only wants what's best for you. And isn't that what a friend is all about? But what does the Holy Spirit actually do? So let's go back to our passage and look at verses 25 and 26. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So scholars have understood this to mean that in a direct sense, Jesus was telling his disciples that he will teach them and he will remind them of what he said to them so they can record it so that future generations can learn about it. In other words, that's how they wrote the New Testament. That's how they wrote that part of the Bible. And that's why we see the Bible as God's inspired word, written by people, inspired by the Holy Spirit, dwelling inside their heart. So the Holy Spirit enables the Bible's writers to, to see clearly, to see who God is, why he created the world, why it became broken, and the consequences of that, and, and why Jesus came to fix it. In other words, the Holy Spirit enables you to see clearly. The Holy Spirit enables you to see reality. It's like having a good pair of glasses. So you can just see everything really clearly. Does anybody here watch The Simpsons? Okay, maybe one person. Our <laughs> new worship leader, awesome. 33 seasons of Simpsons on. And um, one of my favorite pastors, Matt Chandler of the Village Church in Dallas, he's always you know, quoting uh, Ned Flanders from The Simpsons. And if you don't know who Ned Flanders is, he is this uh, uh, stereotyped, uh, always sunny Christian who's always going around saying, highly ho. And I think he reinforces this, this uh, notion that as Christians, uh, we are just relentlessly sunny, relentlessly optimistic, and unable to see uh, life's uh, dark side. Now, I work uh, in the news, as, as Carla mentioned. I uh, am a TV news reporter, and the number one comment that people say to me all the time is, I don't watch the news, it's too depressing. And I get it. I get it. We cover a lot of crime, we cover a lot of disasters, we cover a lot of tragedies. But for me, I, in, in covering the news, I, know I, I, I don't see it as depressing. Now, it used to numb me, all that tragedy. But the funny thing is that when I finally surrendered my life to God, He made me feel those things actually more intensely. And I think it's because through the Holy Spirit, God put his heart, you know, into my heart. So I think there's a reason now where, why he sends me, you know, into that darkness. So whenever I go to a crime scene now, whenever I encounter someone who has lost a loved one, I, I offer to pray for them. And there's often a surprised look on their face. And I try to, and I try to convey, you know, I'm not, I'm not here to exploit you. You know, if you want to talk to me, that's okay. But I want to mourn with you. I want to grieve with you. And, you know, and that's God's heart. God mourns over every senseless death. God grieves over every senseless tragedy. 
his heart is broken right now over what's happening in Ukraine and, and all the horrible things that Lily talked about in China and beyond. The Holy Spirit puts God's heart into our hearts. And when I go to homeless encampments now, you know, we cover a lot of the homeless issues uh, on, the, on the news. And, and now God shows me opportunities where I think I can help and the church can help. And at Vintage Santa Monica, as Carla mentioned, uh, every Thursday night we, we feed the unhoused community. And it's grown so much that not only do, do we feed uh, our neighbors there, but we have a uh, UCLA medical van, Go Bruins. I had to throw that in there, absolutely. A UCLA medical van, a prayer table, an arts and crafts table, and we're, we're hoping to bring a worship uh, leader out there soon. And we did a survey of the unhoused community there and said, what, what, what do you like most about Thursday nights? And they said, the community. And so it feels like my, my job and being out there in Los Angeles and Southern California has helped inform you know, that ministry, and, and by God's grace, my job and, and, and the ministry at Santa Monica has become intertwined in a lot of ways. I've done stories on our mission partners, Claire's Health and Harvest Home and Salvation Army. And through doing a lot of stories on churches and COVID, which was a little bit controversial, and yet still I was able to uh, engage a lot of pastors from different communities. And through those relationships, uh, we established a partnership in our diversity outreach efforts with a majority black church in Inglewood called Faithful Central Bible Church. And uh, Bishop Kenneth Omer uh, has already spoken once uh, at our church and he's gonna speak again in the summer. So to me, that's, that's the Holy Spirit revealing more of reality to me and where God wants to see his kingdom come and where he wants me, where he wants us to join him in renewal. So the Holy Spirit not only makes you see what see more clearly out there, he also makes you see more clearly in here. The Holy Spirit shows us that we are more sinful than we ever realized. He exposes every dark thought and every dark desire like wanting bolts of lightning to rain down and incinerate that driver that cut you off. Or is that just me? But the Holy Spirit also makes you realize that you more are loved and cherished by God than you could ever imagine. And that your worst mistakes don't define you. And that you are forgiven. And with every mistake, you can grow. Philippians 1 says, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit makes you see the long view, and isn't that what a good friend does? A good friend also, when necessary, will argue with you because a good friend is so for you that sometimes he will be against you for you, which means he will argue with you when you are in danger of making a bad choice and a bad decision. One of the Greek words for Holy Spirit is parakaleo. Para meaning come alongside, kaleo means advocate or to argue 
against. I remember about 10 years ago, and I was really a baby Christian back then, and um, I was in uh, real danger of, uh, what's that word again you use for falling back? Um, Backsliding? Uh, I was a few blocks away from a strip club that I used to frequent. And this is how I medicated when I was feeling lonely, when I was feeling down on myself, when things weren't going well for, for some reason. And I was in that place and, and, and something was going wrong with relationships and, and work. And I texted my friend and I asked, well, why shouldn't I go back inside? And he texted me back and he said, you shouldn't go back inside because you've come so far and because you will regret it afterward. And I remember distinctly the Holy Spirit saying to me at that moment, Ted, that's not who you are anymore. You're mine now. John, 1 John 3 says, when our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. Romans 8 says the Holy Spirit reminds us, it tells our spirit that we are children of God. So when we're down on ourselves, the Holy Spirit says, hey, you're a child of God. When we have too high of a view of ourselves, the Holy Spirit says, hey, you're a child of God. God is responsible for all you have and all you are, not you. When we're in danger of opening up that computer and watching a video we shouldn't watch, the Holy Spirit says, that's not who you are. You're a child of God. You're mine now. When we're in danger of making a cutting remark to someone we care about or to anyone or posting a nasty comment on social media, the Holy Spirit reminds us, hey, you're a child of God. So how do you get filled with the Spirit? Let's go back to our passage in verses 21 to 24. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not the world? Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. So we know that the Holy Spirit inspired its authors to write the Bible, but the Holy Spirit also helps us read the Bible. We begin with careful study. It has to begin with that. We read the Bible. We study its context. We have to understand who the audience was at that time, and we have to understand what parts of the Bible were meant strictly for those people at that time, and what parts are meant for all time, for all of us. What parts of the Bible are meant to be taken literally, and what parts of the Bible are not meant to be taken literally. You know, that's, that, that, that's God's wisdom, and that's, that's, that's discretion, it's exegesis. But then the Holy Spirit comes in and makes the Bible come alive. The Holy Spirit makes the Bible come to life. It's the difference between knowing that sugar is sweet, knowing in your head, and tasting it. It's the difference between head knowledge 
and heart knowledge. You know those videos of uh, babies and toddlers uh, eating ice cream for the first time? I love those videos because the eyes just go really wide. And that child is like, this is the greatest thing ever. That's what the Holy Spirit does with the Word. And what does the Word point us to? The Bible tells us that Jesus is the Word. So the, the Holy Spirit points us toward Jesus. So to be filled with a Spirit, in order to be filled with a Spirit, we have to be filled with Jesus. We have to obey and to believe in Jesus. To believe and obey Jesus. It's actually in that order. Because to believe in Jesus means to obey Jesus. And, and verse 21 and 23 say as much. Verse 21 says, Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. A.K.A. the Holy Spirit. 23. Jesus says, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. The Holy Spirit is, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, in order to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you have to believe in Jesus, and you have to obey Jesus. And here's where we get into a little more uh, Trinitarian uh, theology, Because Jesus says, my father and I will come to them, make our home with them. And so when we're talking about the Trinity, what is the Trinity ultimately about? Here we have God the Father who loved the world so much he gave his one and only son, John 3.16. Here we have the Son who loved the world and loved us so much he sacrificed his life so we could have new life. And here we have the Holy Spirit who is constantly pointing us toward Jesus. Tim Keller says the Holy Spirit is like a floodlight. No one looks at where the floodlight is. Everyone looks like what the floodlight highlights. So what does this tell us about the Trinity? The Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, are all about lifting each other up, are all about divine selflessness. So earlier when I talked about the Holy Spirit allows us to participate in that relationship, we participate in that relationship by participating in selflessness. Now, you Dodger fans are gonna hate this, but uh, one of the reasons I love my San Francisco Giants, besides the fact that I'm from, there go the the booze. Gonna be an epic race again, I hope. But one of the reasons they they hung in there during 2021, toe to toe with the Dodgers, the most, by far, the talented team in baseball, was I think they're a team of selflessness. You know, a lot of platoon players, not a lot of superstars, who were all sacrificing for the team. I know some of you out there are hating that example, but that was the best example I could think of, of, of selflessness. And I think God is trying to tell us that obedience means putting away self-indulgence and embracing selflessness. And when you think about it, obedience, because a lot of people, when they think of obedience, they think of a personal obedience like, like holiness and, and purity, which is just as important. But holiness and purity is also about selflessness and also about the other. Because when, when I finally surrendered my life to Christ, uh, 
this was 12 years ago and I was quite the player back then, I realized by deciding to be celibate for the next, until you know, 12 years now, I was choosing to obey God, but I was also saying to any woman that I would have a relationship with, I am not going to give you my body. I'm not going to ask for your body until I am ready to give you my heart and my commitment as well. Because my holiness and my purity is about honoring your holiness and your purity. So obedience is ultimately about lifting and honoring the other. So I want to ask the worship team uh, back up as we uh, land the plane. Life is so much better that way. You know, it seems counterintuitive, but life is just so much better when we make it about God who asks us to make it about the other and equips us with the Holy Spirit to do that. The Holy Spirit connects us to the community of believers. All of you here in Pasadena connects Santa Monica to Pasadena, connects Christians all over the world. It connects Dodger fans and Giant fans and Bruins and Trojans. Yes, even Trojans. Just kidding. Regardless of race and ethnic origin, socioeconomic status and political party too. Because we, we are now the tabernacle. First Peter 2 says, we are now the temple built of living stones. We, every heart here today is where the presence of God rests now. And how God can use us to bring about reconciliation and to heal wounds and to end conflict and to comfort and encourage not only one another, but those around us in our city, in our state, in our country that is experiencing such division right now. God wants every person to have that best friend. Why don't we stand and pray? Also got a couple of words from our uh, prayer team. We're gonna have our prayer team up here. Uh, If these words speak to you or any of these words this this morning spoke to you, feel free to come up. Um, uh, Our prayer team got a word that maybe someone has an injured right hip that needs healing. Also a, a shoulder that perhaps hasn't healed properly. And also someone who may be struggling with grief and loss. And the Holy Spirit wants to remind you of God's faithfulness. The Holy Spirit who, who lifts us from shame that we might be struggling with. The Holy Spirit who wants to address the anger that some of us may be feeling right now. The Holy Spirit who wants to help you reconcile with someone who may be having a tough time right now in your relationship.
So Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you that once you seemed far, but now you are near. Now you live in our hearts. You are part of us now to guide us, to teach us, to advocate for us, to argue for us and with us when it's needed. Because God so loved the world, he gave up his son to be with us and to be a part of us. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.